Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It is February 3rd, and I've got a great show for you this week. Uh, that's, that's probably a lie. I'm not sure if it's going to be great. Got to be honest with you, I'm mailing it in this week. I don't even feel like doing this show today. In fact, it is purely an infernal miracle that I'm doing it at all. Uh, I guess for the past two years I've been doing this as a, I don't know, therapy, uh, journal, a way to be a part of the greater satanic conversation. Um, and I've, I've got some really good things lined up. Uh, to be honest, but, I don't know, it's getting to the point where I don't know if, one, I have anything new to say, and two, if I really want to say it anymore. Um, today's the Super Bowl. Yay, super fucking retarded. I've never been a sports fan, which... Which is weird, because everyone, every male in my family is a huge sports fan. But I guess it's not too weird, because um, <laughs> every male in my family is a Christian, and I'm not. So, it's not shocking that I wouldn't fall in line with every absurd obsession that they have, be it Jesus, Joseph Smith, or football. You see, I'm not adverse to sports. I actually really enjoy playing sports, whether it's football or baseball or basketball or my favorite volleyball or um, sex, <laughs> which if you don't see sex as a sport, again, I think you're doing it wrong. <laughs> uh, but no, to be serious uh, about it for a second, sports is a huge distraction to what the world truly is about and that's living see sports is a game it's a game it's meant to pass the time for those who just can't find the excitement in their lives to do anything meaningful they just sit around and i don't know back some absurd team because it's important to them i don't know they were raised in the community the team sprang out of so they feel some weird obligation, or it's just an excuse for them to get together with their numbskull buddies and drink shitty beer that barely even passes an excuse for actual beer, 
eat shitty fucking food. Get fat. Stare at other people working their asses off so that you can feel better about yourself. I actually have a lot more disdain for it than I even thought I did. And maybe it's not even for the sport itself, because I actually appreciate the athletes, uh, the sacrifices they make physically in order to continue entertaining the masses. It is the masses that I hold disdain for. Always have. Can't help it. And what does that say about an individual? That you would forsake your own accomplishment in life to celebrate that of someone else's. <laughs> now, on its face, it means nothing. It's not a big deal at all. Enjoy your sports. Big fucking deal. Who cares? But because I read into everything, I can't help but think that it speaks volumes about you and your character. If and you do. <laughs> Again, this is just me ranting for no particular reason other than uh, delaying, perhaps, giving you another show. But I cannot stand the act of watching sports, and I cannot abide those who do. Um, it's a complete distraction from life, and as someone who celebrates life, um, it is absurd to forsake it so that you can celebrate something that you are literally not a part of at all. And especially when you consider that the Super Bowl has turned into, nay, always has been, a celebration for advertising, not a celebration of the sport itself. Um, and the fact that I live advertising every single professional day of my life, uh, maybe that's another reason I should hate the day. Well, I started drinking early, <laughs> which also may excuse the mood I'm in, or at least explain it away. Um, and so earlier on this week, I was taking a leak. That's right. I'm going to talk about taking a piss. And my junk touched the urinal. And for the rest of the day, I just felt like my dick was dirty. <laughs> I did. I couldn't help it. And I, how many junk touches the actual urinal? I, maybe if you're a girl, you don't understand. But if you're a guy, I mean, you just don't do it. It never really happens. And so I don't even know what weird sort of universal distortion had to occur for my junk to have touched said urinal. But it did. And I could not for the life of me feel clean the rest of the day the, my, my entire experience of the day was thrown off by touching porcelain has this ever happened to anyone else it's it's a weird sensation it's i mean it's i've had the i've had the problem where you know i have like one of these weird really weird old toilets and so um on the weird occasion uh mr Mini Adam, that's my junk name I just made up, uh, touches the porcelain, and it is a horrible sensation of, oh shit, did my penis just touch shit? <laughs> did this just really happen? 
and I can't shake loose this thought in my head that it's dirty regardless of whether or not it is clean or not. You know, when I was in basic training, I had this female drill sergeant that <laughs> was a fanatic for clean toilets. She was incessant that if she could not look at it and feel comfortable drinking out of it, then it wasn't clean. Um, she could never drink out of any of my toilets. Not that they're necessarily dirty, but I just could not... <laughs> I cannot consider them clean enough to drink out of. Um, and certainly, if I can't drink out of it, I don't want my junk touching it. <laughs> and it did. The one at work, no less. Now, okay, so a bit of rationalization here to justify the absurdity of my freak out. Uh, I have a key to get into my bathroom at work. It has heated toilets. Yeah, heated toilet seat. Which, if you've never had the pleasure, it is amazing. But to my point, not many people have access to that toilet. So I shouldn't be freaking out that it happened. But when it did happen, I immediately thought, I am going to be uncomfortable the rest of the day. And the second thought that jumped into my head, I must speak to this in my podcast. <laughs> I want you all to know how uncomfortable I was touching that porcelain. Um, it was horrible. All right. Um, well, maybe I'll just leave it there. It, it is this weird thing where you just don't feel clean the rest of the day. You wonder if you ever have like a weird itch or whatever it is, if it's because you touched the toilet and... You know, if any weird diseases you picked up. It's weird that that part of your body is so much more important in your mind than any other part of your body to touch any surface. Like, like for some reason, it's more sensitive. Well, okay, let's, you know, as far as, you know, senses go. But just to say that it, it, it it's more precious. It shouldn't touch anything except for the other dirty parts of other people, right? It's weird. Uh, all right, so... Uh, um, like I was saying, I have a, I'm going to say mediocre show for you this week. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to give you Anton LaVey's From the Devil Notebook essay, A Medicine for Melancholy, and I hope I haven't said this before, <laughs> and The Infernal Informant, if I can keep it together long enough, Examiner Editorial, New Obama Rule, would spare churches but not believers, and Is Scientific Genius Extinct? Fox News article. And the creature feature, I'm going to talk about a series I recently started watching called Shameless. It is interesting. <clears throat> it took me a little while to get into, but I did. And so I'm going to talk to you about it briefly. I just finished the first season, even though now they're on their third, I believe. Um, yeah, and so you, I, I cannot promise that I'm going to be doing these for a lot longer, these shows. It is becoming more of a chore um, to push out every week, especially when I have so many other things going on, that uh, projects uh, that I want to explore. And a lot of it has to do, and i got to be honest, I'm not placing any blame here, because this has always been sort of my... Um, it's, I guess maybe just an excuse for me to be a part of the greater satanic conversation, um, my desire, or you could even say my obsession or need to be a part of the greater satanic conversation. Um, 
but I just don't know that it's a valuable contribution anymore. And I, you know, every once in a while I get these really great emails from the listeners, you guys, and I appreciate your feedback. I truly do. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, as with anything in life, the more you do it, the less interesting, certainly when it's on a habitual basis, the less interesting it becomes, um, the less meaningful it is for you as an individual. And I don't know, maybe, maybe just by me saying that it's something that I'm not sure I want to do. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, color the water as it were, um, because, you know, obviously, whenever you're doing something like this, you are influencing others. Um, whether they know it or not, for better or for worse, you're always adjusting perspectives ever so slightly, one tick at a time. Uh, and maybe that's what I'm doing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, life is funny sometimes, you know. You, you take a step back and you look at yourself and what you're doing and you realize that you see value in it. You recognize that no one else does and you try to convince yourself that it doesn't matter. Hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's, <laughs> let's dive in the show. Before I do, um, let me briefly touch on last week or this last week, I released the homebrewing video and uh, posted on my blog this new, <laughs> as if I need a new fucking project, um, that I put together, Wart Nation. It, and it's really just an avenue for me to talk about homebrewing. I don't even know if I have anything to say about that, to be quite honest. And maybe this is all just leading up to this essay I'm going to be talking about in The Devil's Advocate. I, I, you know, you, <laughs> fuck, man, you do these long enough and you just start to realize that uh, you're recycling, you know, you, you're recycling information, opinion, perspective, uh, and especially when it gets to a point where you realize that you're not getting anything out of it anymore at all. Like, there was a point when I was getting something out of this. I, I felt like, yeah, I'm reaching out to friends. They quickly stopped listening. Um, and then I tried to tell myself, I'm doing this for me. And I quickly stopped enjoying it. And, and the only time I find value in this is when I receive communication from you, the listeners, or when I speak to a, a guest. And it's gone to the point where I've spoken to some guests and I felt like I, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, I, I started this telling myself that I would not, um, I would not have anyone on the show that I did not find worthy. Very selective. I don't care what other people think. Uh, I'm more concerned about what I think. And if I don't think the project is worth talking about, and I've, I've ignored people, I've turned people down because I did not think that whatever they were shelling was worth it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I've had some people on that I wasn't, I wasn't a hundred percent behind. And that kind of makes me feel like shit that I was 
shelling their projects or whatever it was. I'm not going to drop any dimes, but let's just say, um, you know, I've mailed it in a couple times. And that tells me, and it should inform you, that maybe, maybe I'm not up to snuff <laughs> for this anymore, you know? I don't know. I was, I was, I got to be honest, I was certain, absolutely certain, with the numbers that I see of listeners that download this show, that my Satanist on Satanic Cinema would be received uh, a lot better than it has, um, to be quite honest. I, I'm, I'm surprised at how little it's received. And not because I think that, you know, I have anything particular to say about it, because it really was never about me. It was... It was really about commentary and the guests that I had on and the shows that I was promoting. And I've received a handful of good feedback and a handful of bad feedback about that particular project. But the more projects that I put out there and the more projects that are <laughs> completely ignored, one has to ask themselves if it's worth it anymore. And I'm just not sure it is, you know, I'm just not fucking sure it is. Not, you know, I'm not depressed about it. I'm a realist. It's, if I'm not putting out something that's going to be received, why the fuck should I waste my time? That's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, and, and it is truly getting to a point where I'm like, why should I waste my time? I, I have an active real life that I'm ignoring in order to bring this shit to the publics, as it were. Um... Anyway, so I decided not to do that homebrewing video to publish uh, publicly the apron-only version where I was naked. <laughs> it was an absurd stunt, and as I watched the video, it, it didn't really pay off the way I wanted it to. Um, so I sort of put together a small video that I'm sharing with you know, a personal friend that I think would find it funny, but... Yeah, for the public, for everyone else, not going to happen. <laughs> I, I do this a lot where I, I think something is going to be a lot more entertaining than it actually is, and then I do it, and I'm like, oh, right, right, that sucked pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, and that was another one of those. <laughs> Fuck, man. All right, well, if, you, if you've hung in long enough, if you've hung in this long, I guess... I am approaching 20 minutes rapidly of me just bitching. Uh, let me go ahead and start this show and see if we can get through it without, you know, ruining the entire brand, <laughs> if I haven't already. Uh, the Devil's Advocate starts now. You are your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And you are the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm an active member in the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. A medicine for melancholy, or how to avoid the DPs. 
At no time in Western civilization has man accepted so willingly contrivances calculated to weaken and destroy him. Many persons have found these years, as we approach the superstitious dread of the coming millennium, to be the most tumultuous period of their lives. Upheaval, depression, disillusionment, paranoia, anguish, anxiety, illness, and every other sort of malaise imaginable. Yeats' poem, The Second Coming, expresses the social climate well. Surely an explanation, or at least speculation, is in order. Let's examine some ingredients. No overseas war is in progress which involves Americans on a personal level, patriotic or otherwise. There is no universal enemy to occupy the minds and emotions of society. Hence, enemies, threats, and other problems must emerge from a diversity of sources which are timely and easily relatable. Media reinforcement of fears and anxieties is an all-time zenith. Primetime TV dispenses suspense and crisis, either real newscasts or by fiction or documentary features and series. This is considered entertainment, not demoralization. If complaints are voiced, the streets are unsafe to stroll, surfs unsafe for swimming, and even grazing laid unsafe for cows, satanic cattle mutilation, where can one expose his or her puny human form in the safety of an automobile? Perhaps. But what of the subliminal demoralization coupled with the sense of false security that mandatory safety devices provide? Despite rapid and radical advances in medicine, why are more people sick? Emphasis on prompt detection of certain symptoms is supposed to prevent serious illness. With everyone listening for internal gurgles, feeling for lumps, and pondering each pain, hypersensitivity cannot be avoided. Does a consuming, consuming concern for diet and exercise make for healthier living than sitting in the car gobbling Big Macs? Which takes a greater toll? Fear of the effects for preservatives, chemical-pumped chicken, mercury-saturated fish, or the foods themselves? If you are a law-abiding citizen, who is concerned about the safety of your home and family? You are more made to feel like a criminal if you own a gun, and are henceforth categorized as a crazed gunman with Saturday Night Special, though you know you're responsible and conscientious. You are demoralized into stigmatization. Stigmatization. Nonetheless, in bygone days, before you were demoralized by static cling, it was halitosis, or B.O., or unsightly snaps, or non-sanferized gaposis. How easy it would be if one needed only to fret over such trivial social ostracisms. Now, in addition to ring around the collar, you are confronted by threats to your immune system, germ warfare, telephone bugging, new cancer viruses, conspiratorial politicians acting as decoys for the real rulers, governmental breakdown, danger in the streets, on the freeways, at the beach, rising costs of food, gasoline, higher taxes, and the unknown. Is another world watching? Are UFOs about to land in your front yard? And to the good, the threat of Satanism is still a fine, scare copy. How to immune yourself against the great DP, demoralization process, which is inexorably reaching its plateau? 1. 
recognize it for what it is, a collective phenomenon, self-perpetuating, according to Malthusian law, the separation of the strong from the weak, the reactors from the perceivers, Norbert Wiener would be delighted at current examples of human thermostats and their behavior. Never before has man been so controllable and easily programmed while foolishly considering himself more sophisticated than at any other time in his development. 2. Avoid popular amusements. Take a lesson from the ostrich whose head-in-the-sand attitude has been universally ridiculed. If timeliness is an essential ingredient of demoralization, existentialism is a perfect vehicle. Live for today, don't think about the past or the future, has been misapplied to dwell on today. We must all respond to imminent situations. We either benefit from, cope with, or succumb to them, but don't go out of your way to encounter any potential problem or worry if you need not. Don't socialize with those who do either. They'll bring you down. TV's not the entertainment medium it is assumed to be. Newspapers and periodicals aren't either. Pop music is concerned music, with lyrics and harmonies unconsciously gazed to the now. Films and plays are simply variants of TV fare. Even the clothes on your back integrate you into the herd unconsciously, if they are stylish. Stop and consider if whatever you buy, see, listen to, or do is popular. If it is, it is programmed, and like it or not, so are you. Does all this imply that you stop all activity because it's popular? You figure that one out. It should come easily to a Satanist. 3. Break out of the DP time-space warp by realistically and minimally dealing with the present and dwelling on the past and future. If you need to play the intrigue or crisis game, look back on past scandals and outrages. Patronize that which is out of vogue or not yet in vogue. Seek out persons who are not harbingers of present mores. Discover and share pastimes unrelated to current phobias. Surround yourself with reminders of another social climate and contemplate them as you would a crystal ball. The trend towards nostalgia is an understandable rebellion against the DPs. Its only flaw is that it too has become fashionable and often softens the impact of hardcore downers which occupy prime time in our present lives. Reflect, instead, on pawn personally gratifying things and situations, rather than those labeled nostalgia or collector's editions. Yes, I realize how tough things have been for many of you this year, for in any such softening up process, very few are unaffected. Out of the chaos, the rough beast which slouched towards Bethlehem to be born in the year one, is learning to stand, to walk anew, and his footfalls are creating random upheaval. The tenth key has manifest itself in the rolling thunder which has darkened the sky for Satanists and non-Satanists alike. It is for Satanists to know the whys and wherefores of the sorrows, and realize that, like all their kin, Cain Prometheus, Orpheus, Frankenstein, they, we, are, in part or in whole, responsible for our own problems and those of the multitudes. 
An overview is essential to survival. And what has been sown will soon be reaped. The roses to the garden east of Eden will have thorns. Whatever the blossom, whatever the harvest, the future belongs to us. Regis Satanas. Well, my mother is my uncle, and my uncle is my nan. My nan is my cousin, who also is my dad. My dad is married to my uncle Pete. That's why we all have two empty feet. Deep Six Radio, only on Radio Free Satan. Nothing to do with country music. down into Lambert's basement and join me, Dave Ingram and Eagle Hello. where we time travel via nostalgia to a golden age of big band swing and jazz only available on Radio Free Satan Listen, I got a secret. It's, it's been eating me up, and I gotta share it with someone. Get the fuck out of here, kid. I don't know you. No, listen, man. It's about you. It's about your life. You're about to have what, what alcoholics refer to as your moment of clarity. What are you talking about? Are you okay, son? Sins are indisposable to every society organized on an ecclesiastical basis. They are only reliable weapons of power. The priest lives on sins. It's it's necessary to him that there be sinning. Who the fuck are you, kid? I'm your infernal informant. WashingtonExaminer.com New Obama rule would spare churches but not believers. Posted February 3rd. The Obama administration's announcement on Friday that it was changing the Obamacare mandate on contraceptive coverage was a step in the right direction, but it did not go nearly far enough. On the one hand, the new rule improves on the old in that it applies to more employers than just a few monastic orders. It would exempt many nonprofit religious employers, such as dioceses, charities, and universities, that have moral objections to the practice of sterilizing human beings and to the use of contraceptive and abortifacient drugs to frustrate one of the chief purposes of marriage, which they hold dear as a sacrament. Even so, there are still legitimate doubts about whether the revised mandate attempts these institutions in a meaningful way, or whether it merely obscures in several layers of bureaucracy exactly who is paying for what. And more importantly, 
Even assuming that those doubts are unfounded, the new rule maintains the same misguided and un-American assumption as the old one, that religion is primarily about churches and not about people. Even under the new rule, private citizens who own and run their own businesses can be forbidden by the federal government to operate them according to their tenets of their faith. To be sure, an exemption for religious institutions is especially important because it would be wrong for the Obama administration to require religious employers by law to behave hypocritically. <laughs> they do that well enough on their own. Telling their flocks one thing while doing the opposite. But those who accept and live by these teachings in the secular sphere have rights too. Rights enumerated in our Constitution's First Amendment and bolstered by the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, which requires a broader interpretation of such rights by governments. It would be a mistake for conservatives to frame this issue in terms of cost, and in fact, the minimal costs involved in purchasing and covering contraception only highlight just how unnecessary the Obama administration's requirement is. The chief effect of this rule is simply to harass people who, for religious reasons, refuse to cooperate in what John Paul II, a pope, called the culture of death, a society in which adult convenience and sexual satisfaction take precedence over a proper understanding of the human family and the purposes of the sacrament of marriage. One need not accept or even like this understanding or the moral teachings it has inspired to respect the religious freedom of those who embrace it and live by it. Unfortunately, the Obama administration's new rule evidence a continued disrespect for their devout. President Obama would have the law discriminate against them permanently in the field of employment. Moreover, assuming that all other aspects of Obamacare function well, and that exchanges and subsidies created a genuinely affordable insurance market for most American workers, a very generous assumption, this requirement's chief effect will be to force some employers who are currently happy paying for their workers' health coverage to stop doing so, forcing taxpayers to pick up the tab instead. It remains remarkable that the Obama administration even thought it appropriate to create a religious exemption so narrow and meaningless that even Catholic Charities, the Catholic University of America, and the Archdiocese of Washington would not have qualified. Obama has shown and continues to show the same tin ear toward the hopes and aspirations of people of faith that once motivated him to describe them at a closed-door fundraiser during his first presidential campaign as dejected and hate-filled people who cling bitterly to their beliefs as the world leaves them behind. None of this speaks well of the sincerity of a president who once wrote movingly about his own conversion to Christianity. So, this author is complaining that the Obama administration loosening up their restrictions on religious institutions to not have to abide by the same laws that every other organization, every other business has to abide by, is somehow unfair because they're religious? Making the broad assumption that all who work in said institution, business organization, are devout members of said 
religion. Which is a false premise. It is not true. You could be a doctor who can only find work at a Christian titled hospital. That does not mean that you are a Christian. Nor does it mean that you're going to ignore the scientific, the medical benefits for some women that birth control provides and thereby refuse subscribing uh, that benefit because it conflicts with the moral values of the institution which you work. These are archaic ideas. And Washington Examiner complaining that Obama's continued kowtowing to the religious establishment is somehow him ostracizing them is absurd. A blatant lie. Now, I gotta be honest. Growing up, it was not difficult for any girlfriend I ever had to get contraception. It wasn't. And if we had to pay for it ourselves, if we wanted to have sex, we paid for it ourselves. So it was not a big deal. And personally, I don't have a problem with individuals paying for their own at all. It doesn't bother me at all. Equally, it doesn't bother me because it's such a meaningless cost to wrap it up together with mandatory basic coverages. But to say that for some reason there's some war on Christianity because it's a part of basic health care is absurd. It is past the realm of a substantial argument and rational thinking. More to the point, you cannot argue, not in reality terms, that Catholic ideals are anywhere equatable to reality. They are completely in active opposition of reality. I mean, to their core, fundamental core, they're in opposition. There's an imaginary man in the sky who controls everything. Let's ignore the reproductive issue and just understand that there are actual medical benefits for some women being on contraception. I mean, it's just realistically. Uh, that alone should make it okay. But people keep tossing... And the, the fact that it's such a minimal cost and people are still throwing this big fit about it proves how absurd the conversations we have are and how far fringe we have to go to make some sort of absurd point, thereby trying in the most desperate of attempts to pull in as many people as we can to our side. If you cannot stand on your own solid, rational thinking and statements, you have to reach out to the fringe. And that's what these arguments are doing. It's retarded. Uh, so if you want to talk about personal responsibility, well, then let's talk about abolishing the um, um, ultimate safety net that is the emergency room. But you're not going to do that. 
because you care too much about society and we have to have some sort of care for those in dire need. Unless, of course, they're women. <laughs> Unless, of course, they're minorities. Unless, of course, it's anyone that doesn't look like you, you hypocritical, self-righteous, Christian fuck. All right. Is scientific genius extinct? And this is a foxnews.com article by Wynne Perry, published February 3rd. Modern-day science has little room for the likes of Galileo, who first used the telescope to study the sky, or Charles Darwin, who put forward the theory of evolution, argues a psychologist and expert in scientific genius. Dean Keith Simonton of the University of California, Davis, says that just like the ill-fated dodo, scientific geniuses like these men have gone extinct. Future advances are likely to build on what is already known, rather than alter the foundation of knowledge, Simonton writes in a commentary published in Thursday's issue of the journal Nature. An end to the monotonous leaps forward? For the past century, no truly original disciplines have been created. Instead, new arrivals are hybrids of existing ones, such as astrophysics or biochemistry. It also become much more difficult for an individual to make groundbreaking contributions, since cutting-edge work is often done by large, well-funded teams, he argues. What's more, almost none of the natural sciences appear ripe for a revolution. The core disciplines have accumulated not so much anomalies as mere loose ends that will be tidied up one way or another, he writes. Only theoretical physics shows signs of a crisis or accumulation of findings that cannot be explained. That leaves it open for a major paradigm shift, he writes. Prior predictions. This isn't the first time someone has predicted that science's most exciting days are over. Before the arrival of quantum mechanics and Einstein's theory of relativity, two theories physicists had not yet been able to reconcile. 19th century scientists predicted that all major discoveries had been made. Sherilyn Rausch, an associate professor of philosophy at the University of California, Berkeley, pointed out, they didn't see the revolution coming, didn't even see the need for it, Rausch told Live Science in the email, adding, Above all, revolution and genius, like accidents, are not predictable. You often don't even know you need them until they've shown up. She did not find Simonton's argument persuasive, noting that geniuses aren't necessarily crucial for revolutions in thinking, and she questioned the importance he placed on the creation of new disciplines. People are dazzled by revolutions, and have too little appreciation for normal science, where we accumulate lasting and often useful knowledge, she wrote in the email, coping with increasing information. While he sees diminished opportunity for genius, Simondon says that demands of science are increasing. If anything, scientists today might require more raw intelligence to become a first-rate researcher than to it took to become a genius during the heroic age of the science revolution in the 16th and 17th centuries. Given how much information and experience researchers must now acquire to become proficient, he writes. Rausch agrees, saying that nowadays reading all of the literature published in a particular field may no longer be possible. Individual researchers in human society in general may be adapting to the increasing demands by redistributing the work both to other people and to computers, she told Life Science. Given the increasing use of computers to process information, who knows that the ability to see it all and abstract to new ideas is not increasing, she wrote in the email.
And it is funny, just that, that sort of notion that because nothing earth-shattering has been announced in the last 50 years or 10 years or 5 years, that there's no potential for it to ever happen. We as a human species have such narrow frames of reference. We always refer to our lifespan as the end-all be-all. If it hasn't happened in my lifespan, then there's no possible way that it could happen in the future. Meanwhile, completely ignoring the advances in technology that have told us that you need an iPad, even though you never even knew they existed, that you needed, everyone would have a cell phone, and how much that would change the way we not only communicate with each other, but with the universe around us. Never even imagining how much that would change human culture. How much that would change our social interrelationships. But it hasn't happened in my lifetime, so it could never happen again. How arrogant can you be? Um, also, that absurd idea that just because we are building on fundamentals established, everything has a genesis, my man. An idea has to come and spring up, and it is revolutionary when it comes, but that is not meaning that it is absolutely understood, or that a theory is somehow proven as fact. That is the glory of science, is that a theory is nothing more and nothing less than just that. A theory, and so scientific research needs to test and retest and retest said theory and compare it with with contrasting theories and and, and, and and similar hypothesis. We have to continually evolve our thinking, and that's not to say that those evolutions in thinking are reinforcing and thereby diminishing, but not solidifying the solid understandings, if that makes any sense at all. Um, I just think it's absurd that somehow because because you are not amazed by a discovery that somehow one cannot come and that it is okay for scientists, scientists to say such things. It's absurd. Just absolutely absurd. And it doesn't matter because, you know, whenever some new discovery comes and, and it's heralded in years following to be the greatest amazing truth to ever have been discovered um no one's even going to remember this douchebag but it, it it's the audacity the arrogance flying in the face of reality that upsets me about that that statement scientific genius is extinct oh just because you're not a genius doesn't mean that it doesn't exist all right, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the creature feature. What's this show called? Well, what do you mean, what is it called? You know, what's the name of the show? What, like the title? What, what's the title of the show? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, what's the big deal? What's the title of the show? Look, it should be good enough for you and for any of you other generation Y's or X's or W's or Z's or, or, or whatever fancy letter you, you're sitting on today to, to realize it. It's not about what the title is. It's not about... When I was your kid, there's only one thing that we had growing up. When we wanted to watch a show, we just turned on the telly on Saturday mornings, and you know what we got? Do you, know, do you have any idea what we got? No, I have no idea. Why are you freaking out? 
every single Saturday. And we didn't know what shows were, what, what titles were, or, or what... We, we had no choices on what to watch. We were stuck with the creature feature. And so are you. Shameless. Oscar-nominated William H. Macy and Emmy Rosam star in his fiercely engaging and fearlessly twisted new series. Chicago and Frank Gallagher is the proud single dad of six smart, industrious, independent kids who, without him, would be well, perhaps better off. When Frank's not at the bar spending what little money they have, he's passed out on the floor. But the kids have found ways to grow in spite of him. They may not be like any family you know, but they make no apologies for being exactly who they are. That is the About the Series from the Showtime page. This is a show that is on Showtime, Sundays, 9 p.m. Eastern. And it is... It's a show that I've grown to love. I've... Okay, so here's the deal with me in, in shows. I will start watching a show because it's recommended by those that I respect. Um, and there are very few people that I will take a recommendation from, surprisingly enough. Uh, uh, this one individual I saw did like it, and so I had to check it out. And much like Dexter, I watched the first couple episodes of Dexter, and I could not get into it. I kept seeing <laughs> the main actor as the guy, the character from Six Feet Under, and I could not get past um, the style. Once I got halfway into the first series, I forced myself to watch it. I really did start to jive with it. And this show is the same way. It took me about two episodes, and, and I really had to fight through them in order to appreciate this, this show. Because on its face, it's celebrating poverty, uh, struggle, um, failure, getting by without actually working for anything. On its face, and then I started to really examine it, and I saw that I was completely wrong with my analysis, and that those who are trying to get by are always face in the gutter. They are the worst. And this is William H. Macy's character, Frank Gallagher. He is the scum. And the show goes to great lengths to show that his behavior puts him in the dirt and makes everyone, even his own family, hate him. And he is not the main character, so I'm surprised that the About the Series bio there even mentions him as the star of the show. The real star of his show is his TV daughter, Fiona. Um, Fiona. She actually makes this entire show. She struggles throughout the entire show trying to make sure that her family is taken care of. And it's not really easy because they are absolutely dirt poor living in Trashville. But it's, it, it's that sort of statement that if you fight, you can get through it. You can rise above. 
and you can accomplish something. You can have meaningful relationships if you fight for it, if you don't just give up like Frank's character. And so the show focuses on those who fight for a place at the table of life. And it spits on those who just try to get by. And that's kind of what I like about it. And the more I watched it, the more I realized that it was celebrating the struggle of success. Whatever terms that meant. And mostly in, in, in this frame of this movie, it's or this series, it's just struggling to survive and to maintain a family unit in the absence of parents who don't give a fuck about the kids. And that's sort of an important notion, certainly in my life, is that you don't rely on other people for your happiness or your success, and that you have to realize that life is not easy. It has never been easy. It's a struggle. And that life itself isn't the conquest, but it is the act of struggle. That is what life is. And this show really brought that idea out and really places it on a pedestal and lets you know that, yes, there are some questionable behaviors involved here. And that, yes, these characters do some strange, deplorable things. But the series at its core is celebrating the struggle. And that is something that I absolutely respect. And, uh, you know, there's very, very few shows that do that, that have the balls to do that. And maybe it's just because this is shameless and they're not trying to impress you with the success of individuals, that they're just focusing on the character development. But that also is what makes a great show, character development. Um, so anyway, I do suggest checking it out. I Again, I've only watched the first season. There's two more, or at least they're in the third season right now, I believe. And so it may have gone to shit for all I know. Um, but if you enjoy struggle, if you enjoy character development, this very well, if you fight through the first couple episodes, could be something worth your time, uh, your valuable time. Um, and it's it's sort of become one of mine, especially between regular shows that I watch. Uh, and it's one of those things where there are very few times my wife and I can actually sit down and watch TV. Quite literally... I think it's like, you know, 30, to, 30 minutes to an hour a night on the weekdays um, because we're really sort of just taking care of life and our kids and um, exercising and stuff like that. So when we do actually get the opportunity to sit down, watching a show or a movie means that we had better damn well appreciate it. <laughs> and we had better, it had better be worth our time because we have such little time to do it. Um, and so... You know, whenever I find something that I, I consider of worth, I like to share it with you. And I, I certainly think this is one of them. So, check it out. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Archer's back on. Woohoo, Archer, I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the first episode of Archer coming back was amazing. So, <laughs> if, if you have the chance to check it out, definitely do. That is going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>
<laughs> I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so check us out there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com, and if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, the source for online satanic media. Blah. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Hail Satan!